Cheers, David. Appreciate your work on uh, some of those names, Mahalalel, especially. That's quite a, that's quite a doozy, isn't it? Uh, well, good morning, everybody. My name's Nick. I'm one of the ministry apprentices here at EV. Uh, there was plenty to take in there. I'm not sure if you were following along all the way through, uh, but I promise that God does have some great stuff for us today. Uh, so let's pray and ask his help for that. Father God, thank you that we can be here today and we can hear from you in your word. I pray that as we come to a, a tricky passage, Lord, that you would show us that your word is true and powerful and that your spirit is active and, and teach us today. Now, please use me for this task. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, have you ever wondered what it would be like to have a do-over of life? Uh, hypothetically, you were on your way to church this morning to preach uh, and you're an inexperienced coffee drinker, and uh, you happen to spill some on your lap. Uh, just, just hypothetically, you know, you're very grateful for um, the, the hand dryers that we have in the, the toilets over there. Hypothetically, of course. Uh, or maybe, maybe it's more realistically, maybe it's when you've seen someone living your dream lifestyle. Maybe they're rich, maybe they're powerful. For me, it's that they're influential. Or maybe someone else has that teenage dream romance. They've hauled in that big fish that we're all sort of chasing after, right? Some of us are chasing after, I should clarify. Uh, these are the real success stories. And the question is, why are they always someone else? Maybe you feel like your life is a little bit more like the life of this guy. <laughs> Philip J. Fry, if you don't know him, star of the second best ever cartoon, Futurama. See, Fry, he's stuck in a dead-end job with a boss who's always angry, and he has a, a, on the side, he's got this girlfriend who keeps dumping him, keeps leaving him for another guy. Really, he has no dream lifestyle, no dream romance, just mediocre old reality. That is, until one day, by a freak accident, he gets frozen in a tube and hurtled a thousand years into the future where he emerges, not to the streets of New York that he once knew, but to the glowing streets of new New York. In the 30th century, Fry has a second chance at life, a do-over. He is living the dream that we might have had to have a new beginning. Life 2.0, another chance to show him who's boss. Well, today, in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, that's exactly what we see here. A new beginning, not just for one guy, but for all of humanity. And we see it here in the world's first genealogy. But before that, we'd better talk quickly about what these genealogies are, or rather what they're not. See, genealogies, they're not calculators. Some people would come to this passage and they'd be excited to you know, get the, the number crunch out and, and work out the age of the earth, you know, add up all the numbers there. But see, that doesn't work because the problem is genealogies in the Bible, they skip over generations. So it's better to think of them as kind of loose family trees. I don't know if you've been into the Ancestry.com kind of craze, but they're kind of guessing with a lot of that stuff, right? They're, they're stitching between different generations, trying to get a sense of your heritage and your lineage. And that's how we should see genealogies. They're true, but they're skipping along. But if you're sad that today won't be a math class, I've got good news for you, uh, because what I'd love to do instead is to teach us how to watch cricket. <laughs> yeah, enthusiastic response there. I thought, well, I don't know, maybe. Uh, now I know that might take some convincing to want to learn cricket, but hear me out. Genealogies are a lot like cricket. 
You see, cricket can also go a long time. <laughs> it can go for a whole day or, or five days. But unless you're a diehard, you don't sit there and watch every single ball of the game. Maybe you do, I'm not judging if you do, but <laughs> generally speaking, three things matter. The start, the end, and the exceptions. The start matters. Th this game up here, I'll tell you what, this was the start of the 2015 Cricket World Cup final. I, I remember being glued to this moment as our hard-hitting captain, Brendan McCullum, faced up against the Australian speedster, Mitchell Stark, and his killer swing bowling. There was only two outcomes we knew. Either Brendan McCullum would smoke them, get us off to a roaring start, or he'd reach his unfortunate demise. Now, quite apart from what actually happened, <laughs> sadly, um, the start really is where most of the drama happens, where it all begins to unfold. So the start matters. But the end also matters, of course. That, that one's pretty obvious, right? Without the end, you wouldn't know the result. So you've got to tune in and see that. But lastly, you've got to follow the game's big exceptions, the big moments, right? When did someone score 100 runs? When did someone get out? Those are the moments that you tune in for, that you catch the replay of. That's the highlight reel. Because genealogies, they're like the highlight reels of history. They fast forward you across time while giving you just what you need to know. So the start, the end, and the exceptions. That's how you can watch cricket. That's a good thing. But also, that's how you can read genealogies. And you'll see as you look at your outlines, that's also where we're headed today. What does the start, the end, and the exceptions of this genealogy have to tell us? Well, let's begin and look at the start. Genesis 5, verse 1. This is a document containing the family records of Adam. On the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. When they were created, he blessed them and called them mankind. So right off the bat, uh, we've got a reminder of the family tree, of all family trees. Uh, back in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, we had seen God make mankind and call them good. In fact, in the eyes of the creator of the universe, we were actually blessed. But hold on, since then, things have gone pear-shaped. In chapter 3, Adam and Eve went against God, and as a result, all people were cursed to be in conflict with the earth, with each other, and with God. And then last week, we saw that play out with the next in line, Cain, murdering his brother Abel. The first murder which paved the way for worse and worse through his descendant, Lamech. So surely you think at this point, we've, humanity, we've done our dash, right? It's game over. Well, remember, this passage is about a new beginning. Have a look at verse 3. Adam was 130 years old when he fathered a son in his likeness according to his image, and named him Seth. We've just read great news. Firstly, having a kid at 130, that's pretty swell. <laughs> that definitely takes pressure off the biological clock, if anyone's feeling that here. Uh, we'll get to more of that in the moment. But for now, let's be thankful that humanity didn't end with Cain. Because Adam had another son, Seth. And Seth's name means given, as God has given us a new hope a new lineage for mankind. It's a new beginning of sorts, and every person since then shares in that same image of God, that same blessing of life that we saw again and again. That, that might not seem like a big point, 
But gee, it's really important because it reminds us that where the world cheapens life, we need to celebrate it. So where the world cheapens life, we need to celebrate it. That principle, I can think of so many places where it applies. But for me, I think of my days as an engineering student. I can tell you there the culture is, is pretty shocking. You know, whenever we'd have a new assignment drop or whenever the workload was piling up, I can tell you the most common phrase that I heard uh, amongst my cohort was something along the lines of, I wish I was dead. <laughs> have you heard that? Or maybe, kill me now. They're obviously jokes, right? But there's an interesting, uh, I've, interestingly, I've seen them creep into the conversations I have at church too, and I let them get a free pass. It might be a joke, but we have to ask the question of whether it actually gives God the thanks he deserves for his blessing of life. Do we value our own lives the way that our creator God does? And it's not just life that we should prize as God does, it's age too. Why is it that we get those letters from the king at age 100? Probably no one here has got one, but why is it that you would get that? It's because society has always recognized what Genesis is telling us, that great age is a blessing. Every year is a blessing from God. Every year is God's mercy to us. I want to ask us, do we see it that way? Do we consider each birthday to be a part of God's blessing rather than his curse? Because celebrating age is biblical. Proverbs 16.31 says, Grey hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. And if grey hair, uh, for, the, for the gents among us, I reckon that also goes for no hair. So keep, keep on going on. <laughs> but you might also be here and, and feeling some of the strangeness of this passage. Because humans here in Genesis 5, they're not just living. They are living, Right? Adam has a, he has a son at 130, and that trend continues. Later on, we get the real bopper, Methuselah, who caps out at 969. Us in the cricketing world, we'd probably call that a pretty fair innings, you know? Many runs accrued around the sun there. That's a lot of letters from the king, I'm sure he got, uh, if there was a king. <laughs> but can, the question is, you might be asking, can humans really live that long? Well, with God's help, of course. That's not the important thing, though. Rather, this genealogy is making here a theological point for us. You see, these huge ages, they aren't here to wow us or to confuse our modern minds, but to remind us that, as Genesis 3.23 says, we were once able to reach out, take from the tree of life, eat, and live forever. Living forever was once the norm of humanity. So, in fact, the shocking thing as we come to this passage, and for the people of this day, wasn't the 900-year-long lives. It was the death. No longer do we live forever now that we're away from God's tree of life. Seth's line of humanity, it has a new pattern. And this passage drills it into us. Verse 6, Seth lives. He has Enosh. He dies. Verse 9, Enosh lives. He has Kenan. He dies. Verse 12, Kenan lives, he has Mahalalel, there it is again, what a name, <laughs> and he dies. It's, the kids talk put it well, right? When you read all those things, just want to go, whoa. If you're feeling that, you're feeling the nature of this passage. It's the pattern of life and death. If we're talking cricket, this is the ball-by-ball ball rhythm of the game. Life, then death. 
So the, is this the quick cycle that we're stuck with? Is this the hope? Is there hope coming for this new humanity? Where do we end up? Well, on the next exciting installment of this genealogy, we do get an answer. And we'll get there in point two as we look at the end. So as we look at the end of this genealogy, sadly, the state of humanity, well, it doesn't paint us too nicely. You could be excused for missing the first example of that, the Nephilim. Uh, there have been many debates about who these guys are. The offspring of the sons of God and the daughters of mankind is what we're told. Now, two main ideas go around about who these tricky characters are, particularly the sons of God. Either that they're nasty angels, or what I think is that they're descendants of Seth, part of this new line, but they marry in with the nasty daughters of Cain. Whichever way you slice it, though, the product of the offspring is people. Verse 4 describes the Nephilim as the powerful men of old, the famous men. And God, he considers them a result of humanity's fall from grace. The word Nephilim itself might even have its root in the word fallen. And here's something really remarkable. Just as before, we saw Eve saw the fruit was good and took it. So too, the sons of God saw the daughters of mankind were good and took them. It's the same words, the same pattern is going on here. And however foreign the Nephilim might be, that problem isn't. Because if Eve did it, if the sons of God did it, then so do we. At the world level, we see war, taking, seeing and taking, abortion, corruption, all these things. And for us, we, we ourselves see things that look good to us, and we take them. We live for what we want. We abuse the gift of life that God has given us. And God, he doesn't pull the punches revealing the state of humanity. 6 verse 5 says, The Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. You see, at Futurama, Fry, he escapes his old life with the toxic workplace, the toxic boss, the toxic girlfriend. But the problem is, he can't escape himself. Because of his lack of ambition, he goes from being a delivery boy for pizza in the 20th century to being a space delivery boy in the 30th century. His lack of commitment means that his romantic life is a roller coaster, 1,000 years between rides. And nothing around him has changed either. People around him are still greedy, bigoted, self-centered, power-hungry. The only new thing, actually, is that the robots we've made are even worse. <laughs> like Fry, we might think it's our environment that means our character, our relationships, our work attitude are what they are. How often do we catch ourselves thinking, if only my life was a little easier, then I could be as generous as that guy. My family just brings out the worst in me. I'm not really like that. Our work culture sucks. I don't have time for people when I'm put under so much pressure. We're good liars, aren't we? Because even if we had a do-over, even if we went a thousand years into the future or a thousand years into the past, we'd find the same problems. They always did. Because the root cause isn't any of those external things. The problem is us. It's not a new beginning we need, it's a new us. We hurt others because of who we are, not simply because of who they are. And worst of all, 
we actually hurt our God. Look at verse 6. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. You see, God isn't some automaton or disinterested bystander. He's intimately involved with his creation from square one, and particularly with us. So to see us choose evil in our hearts, it's painful for God. Our evil offends him. And so I have to ask us, what is it we're doing that's grieving God? It could be our actions. If you're living wickedly, consider that you're not just hurting others, you're also hurting our God, the God who gave you life. And stop today. But notice here that our thought life particularly isn't exempt because it's our inclinations that grieve God too. We may not be like the sons of God, seeing and taking those we desire sexually. Yet Jesus tells us that lustful desire is actually adultery in our heart. Where are we letting our thoughts around others drift to places that we'd never express verbally? Or if there's someone who does wrong to you, or you you find it hard to get along with this person, do you find yourself picturing them failing, imagining a bad outcome for them? You might say it's just a thought, but thought staying thoughts isn't an excuse for us. Whether they're in our heads or in our journals or venting to a friend, our hearts are still shown to be evil. And even if it doesn't hurt others, it's against God. And one day God will say stop. Genesis 6 verse 3. My spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. 120 years is all humanity is going to get. That's not far off the human lifespan today, right? Guinness World Records, it has the second oldest person ever living to 119 years, 104 days. Pretty good innings. If you're wondering about the oldest person ever, maybe you are. (laughs) Supposedly she lived to 122. uh, But there's disputes about that, so I didn't want to go there, you know, in case there was any controversy there. That's life when you're the top dog, you know how it is. In any case, we now see why this death is part of God's plan. He won't let us rebel and grieve him forever. Instead, he restricts our lives to 120 years, no more. And you see there in the verse, it's his spirit or breath, the same word, which doesn't remain with him. That's the reason. You see, where God isn't giving life as he first breathed into Adam... No human cause can fight death. We can invent creams, we can alter DNA, we can eat well. We can even get cryogenically frozen these days, like like Fry did in Futurama. It's true, I looked it up. One guy in New Zealand did it, after he was dead, but that's not the point. (laughs) Ultimately, when God says we die, we die. And this genealogy ends not just in the hard place of universal death, but universally deserved death. It's an unhappy place to be for all people. And it might feel hopeless for us if this is the standard that would ever please God. If we feel that way, and I feel that way today. That's where God wants us to be as we read this, as we realize our corruption. But he also doesn't want to leave us there. For that reason, we've got to look back over this genealogy and see the pattern breakers, the big cricketing highlights of our genealogy. So let's go to our final point and look at the exceptions. 
I wonder if you can spot them with me as you read. As you look over this passage, who breaks that pattern of life and death? Well, you might say it's Noah. You'd be right. You certainly get something there interesting about him. Uh, but I don't want to steal the thunder or the rain from next week, uh, with Ian especially, you know, he's my lecturer. <laughs> so come back for the next installment. But no, kudos if you spotted it. I want to hone in on the little old story of Enoch. It isn't a long one, but let's dive in. Chapter 5, verse 21. Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. And after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and fathered other sons and daughters. So Enoch's life lasted 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was not there because God took him. So we're not clued in on that much about this Enoch guy, except to see that he is a major exception, right? He never dies. How does he break that universal rule? What is his secret? That's what we're all asking, right? Well, no great story is going to spoil the, the climax and fall in these opening scenes of Genesis, but it definitely foreshadows it. And the Bible, it always lets us see that big picture of the story. Because Enoch, he reappears in Hebrews 11 verse 5. And it says, By faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not found because God took him away. So that's good. We knew that much so far already. But look what it goes on to say. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Enoch pleased God because he had faith that God was real and that God was kind. The first is obvious. You can't draw near and trust a God that you don't believe exists. But Enoch particularly, he trusted that God wanted to reward us, that he's not evil towards us. Instead, God has a plan. So far, the plan for this new humanity has seemed to go all wrong. In Genesis 6, let's recap on the screen. We've seen that the sons of God, they end up grieving God because they're corrupt again. And as a result, God's breath of life, his spirit, is gone, removed. And that means for us, death reigns. Universally, case closed. Enoch, he walked well in this wicked world trusting God's plan. But we know his faith, it couldn't solve the problem that he as well would have committed evil, that he too was doomed to die. Enoch, he can't provide the solution. The good news is, God can. Let's read Mark chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus comes along and he flips the script. He flips table, the table, literally, right? The table up here, take a look. Where the lousy sons of God grieve him, Jesus is the true Son of God who pleases him well. The only one ever. So that's been flipped. And do you see what happened in that moment at Jesus' baptism? God's pleasure meant the spirit, the breath of life, descended on and dwells in Jesus. That means Jesus is the only one who has life forever. And if we, like Enoch, have faith in him, he can give it to us. 
if you're a Christian here, rejoice that that is great news right here in Genesis. That is the good news of Jesus. We may be corrupt and we can't please God ourselves, but Romans 8 tells us that we have received the spirit of life. So God can now call us too a beloved son or daughter. And this new life means that we can seek to live a pleasing life to God, assured that even when we fail, God has pleased God, or Jesus has pleased God for us. If you're not a Christian here, heed these words from Jesus in John chapter 11. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Those are Jesus' words then, and they're Jesus' words now. Do you believe that we can never please God ourselves? Do you believe the pattern of life and death can't be escaped? Well then, believe also in God's solution, his son Jesus. He alone breaks the pattern. That's why we're celebrating Easter. God blesses us, we live. We grieve God, we die. But Jesus breaks that. He came to die the death that all humanity deserves so that he could then give us the life that only he deserves. Like Enoch did, trust that if we come to Jesus, he will please God in our place and give us life forever. That's the only way. Do you believe this? Now let's pray together. Father, thank you that when humanity only had death, Jesus has brought us life. Thank you that for all our failings, all the ways we've wronged you, ultimately he has pleased you in our place. We ask that you'd help us today to turn from doing things that grieve you, Lord, to things that please you, knowing that we are safe in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.